I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm still really holding on to those people that I'm helping through my channel and that's the only reason really that I'm still on it. I'm actually not on it anymore for myself. (laughs) I'm pretty much only on it for those people that, uh, you know, really enjoy my content, that it it gives back to them and that they, that it, it helps them in some way. That is honestly the only motivator that is keeping me on social media right now um, because I'd agree there is there is days where I've just had absolutely enough and um, I agree with you that last year was a huge wake-up call and a huge learning and I think that was really important for us all to go through um, but it has it has I suppose going back to confidence um, questioning what I'm putting up these days is insane like the amount of times I check my caption or the photo that I'm sharing or um, just the topic that I'm talking about I question all of that a lot more. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in 2018. It started as a podcast, and thanks to your ongoing support, it's turned into a bit of a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are, our true self, and how to live, create, and succeed from that place. If you need help making contact with your unique purpose, or maybe you're ready for a conscious career change and need some advice, I encourage you to explore my online learning opportunities at getoffline.co forward slash study. You can also follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me, I'm Alison Larson Rice. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. My next two guests are doing a world of good in the wellness space. Stephanie Miller, you might be more familiar with her Instagram handle, Steph Claire Smith, and Laura Henshaw are first and foremost friends, and a close second, the co-founders of Keep It Cleaner. What started as an ebook and a hobby has since turned into a multi-platform offering, spanning recipes, workouts, mindful guides, community events, and even a podcast. But how did they do it? And have they had investment? How did they know who to hire? And what advice do they have for anyone wanting to start something? I ask it all. With nearly 2 million followers between them, we also discuss social media in all of its usefulness and complexity. And I ask for their opinion on gifting. Is what was once an interesting and organic way for brands to expose their products to new audiences now becoming more harmful than helpful. Steph generously opens up about how she's feeling five weeks into her new role as Harvey's mum, and Laura gives us with invaluable insights about growth, evolution, and confidence. I hope you love this one. We all agree that if it was not for the two sets of throbbing breastfeeding boobies, 
we would have spoken for another hour at least. Here's Steph, Laura and I for offline. I'm popping us in after I asked them how they were. At the time of recording, Melbourne was in its fourth lockdown. I'm pretty good. I'm feeling all right. I'm very sleep deprived. (laughs) If I don't make much sense on this podcast, it's just from my lack of sleep last night. Harvey had a bit of a night, my baby. But um, no, I'm really good. I'm definitely in that kind of love bubble at the moment where I'm just fully in love, even with the witching hour and the crying and the unsettled sleeps and all that sort of stuff. It's still so magical. Everything's so awesome. And um Everything else as well, even work-related, we're going through some really exciting things at the moment with Kick, um, which it's funny, even though I'm kind of on a semi-mat leave, I've got so much FOMO all the time from everyone at work because of all the cool stuff that's going on. So life's pretty good at the moment, um, even if we have lockdown. It's kind of nice to have lockdown with a newborn. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm the same. I think it's been the past few weeks or we've been in lockdown now for just over a week. And I think there's a little bit of deja vu kind of bringing back those feelings from last year, which were, I mean, it was so hard on everyone. And it's just that feeling of waking up and not having motivation and not feeling energized and, and not feeling like yourself, I suppose. But I think this time for me, I've kind of made sure i know all the things that make a difference and make me feel like myself so I'm trying to do that a lot more and then as Steph said yeah we we've got some really exciting things going on with with kick and we had a really an up and down year last year and so being able to know that we've kind of come through that and now I think we're just on this yeah really really exciting path right now with with our team we've we've grown our team quite a lot over the past three months, which has been an amazing journey. And yeah, it's just amazing to, to see we've kind of got through everything and, and now we're at the other end and everything's looking green, which is amazing. It's so good. How one of the things I coach on a lot is um, recruitment and interviewing. How have you found the process of like, you've obviously just been in the thick of that sort of recruiting round. I think some people, some founders really love it and others despise it and outsource it. How have you guys found that? Like, because finding the right people is one of the biggest challenges Mm. to having a successful business, I think. So what's it been like? Yeah, I mean, 100%. It's absolutely been probably one of the biggest challenges that we have mm-hmm. faced trying to find trying to find the right people. And I mean, we're so lucky that we have we have got an incredible team now. We ended up, we've actually, out, we used to contract our tech team um, to another company and we have decided, we decided at the end of last year to bring it all in-house, which was really exciting. But I suppose recruiting a tech team was something that was more difficult than than we'd ever faced with recruitment because it was just something that we didn't, I mean, we don't, Steph and I aren't aren't developers or engineers, so we didn't Mm. understand, I suppose, the questioning that, and I suppose being able to check with a marketing role or any other role that we've hired, we can ask questions because we understand quite a lot of it, but with tech, it's a lot harder. So we went through a, it was the first time we've worked with a recruiter, so we worked with a recruiter to, to build a lot of our tech team out. Uh, which which was great and, and they were super helpful. But I, I think with interviewing, it's one of those things you you just need more practice. That's what I've kind of found. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And then each time you learn a new question that really helped the last time and then, you know, you build on that. And I think it's one of those things that you just, yeah, unfortunately there's no 
I think a lot of we we got a lot of help from from people around us giving us advice on on hiring, which was really helpful. And we've got some experienced people in our team as well who helped. But I think it's one of those things that yeah, there's no specific formula for it. Mm. I think it's different for everyone, and and you learn as you go. But yeah, we've had some big learnings, and I think one of our biggest learnings has been to obviously you you can't move so slowly that it holds a business up, but to take time with hiring, mm. ask the right questions because getting the right people in your business is is pivotal. And, and if you if you don't get the right people in, it can make a big difference to the whole culture of the business. Mm. Oh, hells yeah. And <laughs> you, if you have, <laughs> I just think back to the, t- the days that I was leading and, you know, out of say 25, 30 women, predominantly women, actually all women, if there was really just one that didn't fit, the whole thing mm. um, can quickly not, not Yeah, what's work. that saying um, about a rotten apple or something? <laughs> yeah, a rotten egg or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I learned is when you realise it isn't working mm. to move at speed mm. to have that person exit the business, um, and that can be really difficult because there isn't always terms in which you can do that. Mm. Yeah. You know, but you just have that hunch and you know, but then it's having to, I guess, follow the rules. And so you should to to have them exit. It's, it's hard. Um, but I think you're so right with interviewing. I start, I think back to the times I was first doing it and I feel sorry for the people I interviewed. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's so embarrassing. And then literally hundreds of interviews later, is only the point where you can walk in the room and say, okay, I, I think I know what I'm doing now. But um, but so first I want to say, um, I know we did it off record, but to say this on recording, Steph, congratulations on your little boy. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I am in the thick of it with you and I can tell you from just on five months, it's starting to get real cute now. Like <laughs> Betty and I have a relationship now because, you know, in the beginning they're just kind of, Sleeping, you're just a boob. Pooing or crying. <laughs> you're, just, yeah. you're just a booby. Um, now the interactions that we're having and getting to know her personality and um, I am talking about it as a relationship because every day it feels like we're really building one. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how are you feeling, I guess, lockdown's one thing, but being at home predominantly mm. on whatever, I'm the same as you, this weird mat leave. It's not really mat leave, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you feeling being predominantly at home, but also I guess with less control because that's been a big thing for me is I understood what, of course, I was up for, but sort of living in these one and a half hour windows and then having to kind of surrender within those has been a big sort of personal development thing for me. Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, it's funny having something so incredibly dependent on you, um, and and those windows seem like even when they do kind of stretch out to two hours, sometimes they just seem to come around so quickly. Like sometimes Josh will bring him to me, and he's like, "No, he's he's definitely hungry." I'm like, "I just fed him," and then I look at my notes. I'm like, "Okay, that was two hours ago. He probably is getting hungry." Um, so it it is funny how quickly those windows happen. But um, I actually think I'm I'm handling it all right. I think I went into it really expecting 
not the worst, but I'd heard a lot of um, and I'd read a lot of really raw stories about new motherhood and that kind of fourth trimester. And so I think I think I went into it thinking, okay, well, this can happen, this can happen, this can happen. And he's been pretty good and we've both been really good and healthy and everything. So I've been really fortunate um, that things are going well. And so I think I'm actually managing okay um, and it is kind of what I expected. But I think something that people can't prepare you for is the lack of sleep. Like I think no matter how many times I read, you know, you won't sleep or you'll be incredibly sleep deprived and stuff like that. Um, I think for the first couple of weeks I was like, you know what, I can handle this. I was running on adrenaline and I'm, I was like, I'm okay. It's like, you know, only sleeping a couple of hours or I fall back asleep pretty quickly. So I'm going to be able to deal with this just fine. But now that it's kind of that fifth week and I'm even starting to have like a few little appointments or things with work or whatever. So actual times that I need to be available, not just, you know, any hour of the day is whatever. Cause that's kind of how I've been living. I don't really know what day it is or what time it is. I've just been with Harvey. So it didn't really matter. But now that I've got appointments that are popping up to try and schedule things around that when you're also sleep deprived and then, you know, something might've gone off in the night. So he might need you a little bit earlier or whatever. That's been really hard. And I think that's, what's going to be um, really interesting to navigate when I do start kind of going back to work a little bit more, um, navigating that. But I'm also really excited about that as well. I'm just trying to stay super positive around this. I mean, I'm, I feel so lucky. This is my absolute dream was to be a mom. Um, and it's still my absolute dream to be working on kick. So to, to balance that eventually, whilst it's going to be, you know, uh, a challenge, I'm really excited for it as well. I feel like once I'm kind of in my routine again, but with Harvey, so a new routine. Um, that's really exciting for me. I think that's when it'll all feel really real. Right now, I still feel like I'm on a little holiday. <laughs> so, um, but no, I'm just taking every day as it comes and trying not to be too hard on myself. There's moments where I'll, you know, be crying and looking at him and just saying, I, I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I think every new mum kind of goes through those moments. So um, I'm finding, you know, reaching out to, different people and, and other new mums really, really helpful um, to get through those kind of pressing times. But uh, no, nah, it, all in all, I've, I've been really good. Mm-hmm. I keep saying, because um, we had like a bit of a journey to get to Betty and um, I was the same as you. I always prepare myself for the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and it has been incredibly soft. Oh, good. A lot softer than what I was expecting. And <clears throat> I think we don't always hear those stories. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but all I got, of course, was the horrific birth stories yes. and the how bad the newborn stage is going to be. And I will keep saying till I'm blue in the face, nothing will feel as hard as not having her. So the perspective I have, like from two years, losses, all of that, even in those early hours of the morning where she's was not anymore screaming, just holding her being like, I can handle it, lady. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Like, give me your best because I'm so ready for you, you know, yeah. and this is actually not as bad as what I thought it would be. And I think we probably need to talk a little bit more about that because, and then I felt a little bit of um, hesitation to share that yep. it's been nice because I don't want everyone to be like, oh, fucking, of course, the meditator has a calm baby that did it, you know, and she's had this great experience. But I think so much of it to your point on positivity is mindset because 
it's just going into it knowing that this is going to be one of the hardest things I've ever been through, but then realizing halfway through, oh gosh, I'm quite resilient actually. And yes, I am very high functioning. (laughs) They're real things. Um, But I haven't really spoken that much about this newborn stage. I don't even, she's not even newborn anymore. She's called an infant now. (laughs) Um, Because I didn't want everyone to be like, oh God, you know. No, I feel that. But that has been my, my truth. Yeah, yeah, I I completely relate to you on that. I was also really lucky with my pregnancy as well. I had a um, really good pregnancy and, again, uh, you know, whilst my birth didn't exactly go to plan, it was really low risk and um, everything that did happen was fine and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm the same. I kind of hesitate before telling people um, and... But, but now I've kind of realized exactly what you just said. That That's my truth. That's my experience. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to de-sugarcoat it. <laughs> I'm not going to, hmm. you know, just talk like it's much worse than it is because I'm, it is what it is. And I think, um, again, mindset was a big thing for me with how I'm dealing with it. And to be honest, since I've been sharing, you know, on social media, all, all the positives, I have, of course, got some people you know, saying that it's like all too positive or, you know, um, saying that I need to be mindful that, you know, everyone else's experience isn't like mine. And so maybe not to share it as much, but then on the other hand, I've had a lot of women who are kind of getting to the end of their pregnancy that have said, thank you for making me so excited for having a baby because they've been kind of the same. They've been talking to other people and only really getting the negative stories and it's made them petrified for birth and really worried about how they're going to handle that early stage. And I think whilst it's so important that those stories are shared because, you know, it is the reality for a lot of people and it does get you prepared kind of as has it has with me, um, it is also really nice to hear all the positive stuff and to be able to go into birth and into new motherhood with a bit of positivity as well. So, you know, whilst I really hope that I'm not making anyone feel um, bad or negative in any way because they might have not had my experience, I I really am kind of holding on to those people that I am helping because, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just going to share what, what I'm experiencing. And um, I mean, I'm grateful that it's been it, what it is, but that's not to say there's no, it's <laughs> not testing times. And I'm only five weeks in. I'm sure there's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be a lot ahead of me, but um, I'll just continue to be pretty honest with my own experience. Yeah. I'm so glad. And so I will say thank you on behalf of me <laughs> and I guess other mothers who have had a really good experience because I haven't shared a lot of mine on social mm. for that reason. So you're brave for putting it out there in a lot of ways. Cause I think part of the reason I kept my pregnancy private and then haven't told my birth story and stuff is because I don't want the feedback. Yeah. And I just wanted to really protect my energy and my own space around my experience. So I think you do a real service to other mm-hmm. pregnant women and other mothers by sharing it because you don't have to. And I think that's one thing I learn is I don't have to give this part of me. Yeah. You know, everyone's invested in my journey, but I actually don't owe anyone anything. So I thank you for that. Um, I, I was interested, we won't spend too much time on this stuff, but I was interested to learn a little bit more about your, I guess, evolving relationship with your body mm. because we've both had bodies who've birthed and grown life and, you know, you're, the industry that you're in, it's very focused on our physicality, you know? Yeah, yeah. How, I know you're only five weeks, but sort of what is your relationship with your body today and how is it different to perhaps even your pregnant body and your body before babies, baby? I'm really surprised with how well I'm dealing with it. And I only say that because of, you know, 
past challenges that I've had with my body. And I mean, they were years ago, but things pop up every now and again when you're feeling down and out, um, old habits and um, things can creep back in. But honestly, during my pregnancy, I was surprised how well I dealt with my body changing. Um, I really loved having a bump. I was obsessed with that. And um, now that that's gone and, you know, my body is looking a little bit different, obviously, to what it did before, I thought that that was going to affect me a lot more. But I think other than not having the time to worry about it <laughs> um, because of Abby, um, it, I just, I think I just love and respect it so much for what it's just been through. I think going through pregnancy, I learned so much about what the female body can do and I was just so impressed with it, <laughs> that it's really hard to put it down now just for a physical thing. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited to be able to get back into bo- um, into moving my body and exercising and everything. It's a huge part of my life and, you know, I, I love moving my body and kicking it in, in every way. And so I can't wait for that, but it absolutely isn't going to be to get my pre-baby body back or anything like that. Um, you know, whether that happens or not is not my focus or goal. And I really hope that I suppose my mentality around my body stays this way. I hope I, I do stay this positive thinking about it and just being really appreciative of it. And I suppose I do I do really feel for women who come out of things like birth and pregnancy, you know, hating on in the skin they're in and everything like that. It's it's really sad to hear because as we've just kind of said, at the end of the day, your body's been through the biggest challenge of its life. And there's so much more to life and to your body and to yourself um, than the way it looks. So try to focus on on everything else. And um, I suppose, yeah, do your best to not put yourself down because we've um, been through a lot <laughs> and the bodies mm. have been through a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm doing, I'm dealing really well with it. And um, I suppose I'm, I'm really proud of myself. And I'm proud to say that I think yeah. Um, one thing I will say, from my experience coming up to five months, I'm just ready to be in my jeans is basically <laughs> where I'm at. Like I just have so many amazing pairs of jeans. And I yeah. don't want to buy like all these new ones. And I will share that there's been moments where, you know, when you're with people you're close to and you're like, fuck, I just want to put my jeans on. Like I'm sick of wearing these tracksuit pants. And then the response is, you know, oh, but you grew a baby and it takes nine months, 10 months yeah. to get back and da, da, da. I have felt a little bit minimized mm. in those moments just because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let me just air it. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, It's a miracle. I know. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, I wore tracksuit pants all of 2020. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it's halfway through 2021. I'm still wearing the same ones. I, there's a pair of pants I wore when I was pregnant that Tony was like, you have to chuck those out. I'm like, I'm so sorry. These are so not sexy. Um, but yeah, so that's the only thing I'll say is like, for anyone listening, if a new mum does sort of just share where she's at, just listen and be like, yeah, yeah, oh, that must sure. be really hard instead of coming in with the the positivity. It's like sometimes I just want to put my my jeans on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Laura, I want to talk to you about confidence and you're a listener of the podcast, which warms my heart so much. Um, and so I thank you for that. You know, it's a reoccurring theme. Um, on offline and we've been exploring, I guess, collectively what um, what confidence means to women and what having more of it actually helps us to achieve. Um, for me these days, confidence is coming up more around decision-making and making really big calls um, and those big calls often lead to change. 
And so I wondered when it comes to confidence in your life now, is it sort of themed around, um, I guess, personal self-worth stuff or is confidence for you now more about business, decision-making, being brave? Yeah. Yeah, well, I I, I couldn't agree more with decision-making being a huge part of, of my confidence journey. I think personally I'm, you know, with my body and, and all those things, I feel I'm really lucky to say that I am quite confident in, you know, mm-hmm. who I am. But I think for me, a lot of my, I think if if I ask myself who I am, I, I would, the thing that it comes back to and the way that I define myself is, you know, being the co-founder of, of Keep It Cleaner and, and being a part of a business that I love so much with Steph. And so I think a lot for that reason, so much of my confidence is tied to how I perform at work. And I think last year we had a few things going on and um, I went through a time where my confidence was literally at zero and I didn't feel like myself. I, I know it's funny you talk about decision making because I could not trust myself to make mm. the most mm-hmm. simple decision, you know, even basic, yeah, basic decisions that, that don't even really make a difference. Like I couldn't even trust myself to know if that was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was tough. And it took a long time to come out from that. But I think what what I learned was that the way to get your confidence back is putting yourself back out there and making Mm. those decisions and learning that when you make them, you're actually doing the right thing. And it's, it's very, it's much easier said than done, I think, because I'm, I'm through it now. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, our confidence is, is ever evolving, but it, it's crazy how much, you know, uh, an experience can completely change it and you have to build it back up. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's for me, it's definitely so tied with my confidence in and running a business. I mean, for Steph and I, especially where we're new to it, I mean, we've, we've been doing, we've had our kind of website program for, for three years now where we've had to run everything. And obviously we have a fantastic team, but it is new to us. And so I think there's always that in the back of our heads that, you know, well, we've only done this for three years, so we're not, we don't have the expertise of, of what other people who run businesses have. And we don't know as much as other people do. And, you know, we're two women, maybe we're kind of also it's, or I suppose in society, in, in the business world commercially, if you're a woman, you're already behind. So there's so many things I think that we feel are against us. And that's why having confidence is so important because otherwise you can just get absolutely consumed in all those things and, and lose your way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like swallowed up in other people's perception of us and expectations yeah. of us is what's really hard. And for women running their own business, we are subjected to a level of scrutiny that men aren't, frankly. Mm. And I think especially because for you two, my um, assumption is because you're in the public space as well, there's a layer Mm. added on top. And so are you showing up every day and representing the perception of you? Mm versus can you show up every day as your true self, which is what the podcast is all about. And then the people inside your business, I always had this in leading where I always felt like they were judging what they were getting versus the perception. (laughs) And that starts to become very complex because then you feel like, well, I felt like I couldn't lead as my true self Mm. because I was trying to lead in the way that I guess I was being perceived. Mm. 
Mm. in the outside and on social media and stuff like that. So I don't know if that resonates or not, but I think it's really difficult when you're a, a young woman still finding her way and you're leading, there is not a lot of room for error, mm. you know, because people are so quick to want to pull you down. And I kind of, I hate that. And I don't know why that happens. And I don't know why we do that to each other. Yeah, mm. no, I agree. I agree. But um I think the thing about layers as well, um, you know, quite often, especially when we were starting out, we were, uh, I suppose, still perceived as influencers and models and um, and those kind of layers on top because they, they are things that we are. There's no, like, I, I would proudly say I am an influencer, I am a model. Those are things that I am outside of also being a businesswoman. But for some reason, they were layers that kind of added to um, that perception of us not really... I suppose, people not thinking that we knew what we were doing or um, that there must be other people that are running the show. <laughs> um, those kind of assumptions really do hit your confidence. But, um, I mean, in my personal experience, I'm I'm really lucky that um, I'm pretty good. I've always been pretty good at shutting out outside noise and um, building my own confidence up internally um, and trying not to care too much about what other people think. And I think if you can get to that point um, you know, no matter what events happen, they kind of tear you down for a moment. You'll be able to build yourself back up. Um, it's it's just that thing, you know, the comparison trap and and caring too much about what other people think. It really does get you, and it, it really does eat up your confidence. Mm. I think as well with what you were saying with the perception versus actually then being in the business. I think that's something that is really hard to navigate, and I. It's funny, I've never thought about it like that before, but it makes so much mm. sense because I think especially with what Steph and I do, a lot of our role in the business is to inspire and, and lead our team. But then also if you look at, you know, who we are on social media and, and who we are to our Keep It Clean community is that obviously we're, we're always inspiring them. We're bringing, well, we hope we are anyway. We're bringing <laughs> them up. We're making them feel good about themselves. And obviously it's always 100% positive. And then you come into the workplace and we have a, a wonderful team and they're absolutely fantastic but a big part of growth within a team is constructive feedback yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so I think that for me is something I struggle with so much because I my perception in 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 the media and you know in for kick is being very very positive and and always lifting people up which is really lovely and I that means a lot to me but then at the same time if I am that person every single time I work in I walk into our keep it cleaner office for our team I'm actually not doing them the best service and I'm not helping them in in their careers as I suppose what I should be because yeah feedback is such an important part of every mm-hmm. single person's development um, and so I think that is very hard to navigate and I'm, I'm still mm-hmm. learning <laughs> you're killing oh, it Liz. it'll be yeah and I bet you are like I always say this you know I've been very celebrated as a leader there is at least two handfuls of women who disagree with that <laughs> You know, like for all the people, all the women that I've led, there were years where I was just getting started. So I was a fucking shit show. I had no (laughs) idea what I was doing. So they would not put their hand up and say that they loved working, you know, with me, I don't think. I always joke and say there's probably a couple with some voodoo dolls sticking pins in. (laughs) Like there's just, you know, and then it was not until, you know, probably five years of solid leadership that Mm. I could pop my head out and say, yeah, I actually think I know what I'm I'm doing. Um, and I think the the feedback thing is difficult because that has to be embedded in your culture and people need to know that that is um, 
it should be an expectation of theirs that they will receive mm. whatever constructive criticism mm. means anyway. You know, that's another whole loaded thing. <laughs> um, but I found that really difficult as well because you want to show up and be the person that mm. I think people are talking about externally, but ultimately those conversations, you know, they're chunky. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're complex, they're heavy, they can be, you know, a bit darker. Um but like you said, they're essential to mm. to their development. So um, I bet you're doing a phenomenal job. Mm. Learning. <laughs> learning. <laughs> Definitely still learning. It's a, um, a good segue into my next question. What have you both had to heal personally in your um, journey as leaders? Because a lot of the time we bring in those more shadow parts of ourselves that we have to work through in real time when they become kind of exposed inside a business. Mm. So what comes up for both of you when I ask that? Is there something that you've kind of brought in personally that you've, in order to step into your kind of full self as a leader, you've had to overcome? Uh, I think um, self-doubt's probably a big one for me. As I was talking about confidence earlier, you know, um, I know external voices can really affect um the way people doubt themselves. But for me, it is, it is super internal and it's an insecurity I've had since I can remember. Um, I, even in high school and stuff like that, I, I think I put myself down a little bit too much because I would compare myself to, I suppose, my more academic friends. Um, and I really kind of put down the skills that I did have and um, kind of thought that they were uh, not that appealing. I think, um, for example, you know, the subjects that I studied because they're the, the ones that I enjoyed and the ones that I was best at, um, you know, where your PA, sport, health, food tech and studio art. Um, and I was terrible at maths and, um, I was okay at English. I quit science as soon as I could, you know, I wasn't that ac academic and I put myself down a lot for that. And I think it was just because I would continuously compare myself to others. And I think what I've done now as an adult is I've kind of taken that insecurity into business and, you know, for the first, uh, couple of years, wanting to try and uh, try and understand everything and try and be good at everything. And it took a while for me to realize that, you know, just because you're a leader or um, you, you, you're a business owner, you don't have to be good at everything. I mean, that's why you hire a team and you, you get people in who are, who are good at what they do so that you don't have to do everything because no one can be good at everything. Um, but for a long time, I've put myself down for those areas where I feel like I do struggle or um, don't understand as much. And I think now I'm coming to a point where I've realized where my skills lie and where I'm confident and where I suppose I best serve the business. And I think since doing that, I have felt a lot better as a leader um, and a lot better in the team for sure. Um, but it really did take a while for me to kind of come to terms with that and, and be okay with I mean, I definitely still want to sit across everything and, and do my best to understand everything, but at least accept that it may not be a skill that I'll ever be that comfortable with or that good with, and that's that's totally okay. Yeah, I, I love that, Steffi. Uh, I, and I think, I think um, and I mean, for me, it's probably exactly the same. Um, 
the self-doubt. And I think it's also something that's, that Steph and I have been through as well is putting a lot of trust in, in other people, I think, because we haven't trusted ourselves. Mm. And I think the hardest thing to do for us is to be able to sit back and say, hang on, you know, yes, we admit, we're the first people to admit that we need, we have way more to learn that, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's people out there that are so much, that's why we have an amazing team who is better at all of their jobs than we are. <laughs> But, um, and it's amazing that we're able to now, you know, we used to do everything ourselves, but I think it's really important as, as leaders and as businesswomen, and I don't think we do this enough to sit back and say, hang on, we got ourselves here. Mm. There's a reason we got to this moment and we did a lot of this ourselves. Mm. And so we need to continue to trust ourselves. And I think it's very easy to put all of your, I suppose, the control of your confidence and how you feel about yourself in the hands of others. But, Mm. you know, as, as everyone knows, you, you can't, you can't control how others perceive you or how they think of you or how they make you feel. And I think that's been a big learning for Steph and I to, to realize that, yes, there are so, and we're working with um, some amazing consultants at the moment that are so fantastic but what we've learned is that while, you know, there are a lot of experienced people out there, we still need to trust our guts and let our, mm. let us, we need to also guide, you know, the, where the business is going because we've got ourselves here to this point and mm. not to forget that we've done that. And I think it's so easy to forget that and just think, oh, we don't know enough. Let's just let someone else take over. But I think that would be doing kick a disservice and, and ourselves mm. a disservice too. Mm-hmm. I think that's such valuable advice for any founder, any woman with ambition to run their own business or who is running their own business. From my perspective and from what I've learned, really it's just about understanding what questions we need to be asking of those experts Mm. across the table. We don't need to know the answers or Mm. actually even fully understand when they respond, but it's about having an understanding of our business and our objectives and where we want to go and then having the right questions to ask in Mm. the room you know, how will this help us with this key objective? And then they'll let the expert respond. Mm. I think that's one thing I didn't, it took me a long time to learn is my role when I'm sitting across from someone who is market leading in what they do is to know what questions I want to ask versus have to pretend I'm like contributing to the answers because that's not my role in the room. Um, Kick is obviously founded on the concept of wellness, essentially. Um, I know it's a lot deeper than that. And that's what I kind of want to get into is, you know, the term self-care, I think we can agree it's been a bit hijacked (laughs) by consumerism, capitalism. Mm -hmm. What does it actually mean to you guys? And I guess the context for that question is, I'm assuming that this is kind of the, the foundational belief inside your business. So if we take it away from baths and masks, yeah. <laughs> when you talk about self-care together as founders and with your team, what does it actually mean to you? I think it's, especially with Kik, it's doing something for you and making, I mean, making changes in your life really to make you feel good. And obviously we mm. come from the angle of, of health and wellness, but what Steph and I know, and we, we were really lucky to grow up and 
be able to participate in school sport and, and really active as kids and grew up in pretty healthy families. And so I think once you have experienced how you feel when you're moving and movement is different for everyone. For some people, it's, you know, one yoga floor a week. For other people, it's six runs a week. Whatever that is for you, um, you feel like a, a different person. And I, and I think coming back to confidence as well, I know personally that if I can prove something to myself, you know, on the running track or in a kick workout, I can carry that confidence on to other elements of my life. And, and I feel like, a, you know, a new person. And I think even, even through lockdown as well, I mean, self-care was something that was really, um, really made a big name for itself last year in 2020. <laughs> and as you said, Alison, a lot of brands made a lot of money from it. <laughs> but I think, um, I think with, with exercise, what we found last year, you know, through kick, we had people in our community telling us that, you know, their kick workout was the one thing of the day that made them feel good and got them through. And, you know, they woke up and they'd accomplished something. And even if that was the only thing they could control in their day, and, and this was the same for us as well, they felt like they'd done something and they mm. felt a little bit in routine and they felt energized. And, you know, when you exercise and you move, your mind feels clear and you just, I don't know, for me personally, I, I feel like a different person. Like I feel like me and that's my self-care. And it doesn't have to be complicated. And, and I think that's one of our biggest things with, with kick that, that we try and talk about all the time is that exercise does not have to be two hours in the gym every day. It doesn't have to be a $100 gym class because, you know, you're exercising in a room that has rock salt on the walls. It's, you know, all of these crazy things that, that exist now. It's, it's not about that. It's just whatever you can do in your day that fits in with your life. You know, if you're a new mum, it is unrealistic to set yourself a goal to give yourself self-care and exercise every day because it's not going to happen so maybe just try for two times a week and it might just be a walk with with your baby in the pram and, and that's okay you're still doing mm. something for yourself so I think yeah that that's really our philosophy with with keep it cleaner is is that and everyone's health journey is different and it always looks the same for everyone it always looks different for everyone it's ne it's never going to be the same and that's okay and you just need to find things that that work for you and then once you do yeah, exercise and, and living a healthy lifestyle just, it just makes, it adds so much to your life. And yeah, Steph and I just want to share that as much as, much as possible. <laughs> mm. It reminds me, um, I interviewed Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's the holistic psychologist on Instagram. It's fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's really similar to her um, philosophy of the daily promise. Mm. And she was saying to me for one of her, um, someone in her community, the daily promise was just to get up and drink a glass of water in the morning. Just that was it. And then when that became second nature, a new daily promise comes in and then we start to build a self-care, I guess, routine mm. for ourselves. And I kind of loved that because I was like, it's just a bloody glass of water. But to that one person, that's the start. Mm -hmm. you know, versus the, oh my God, I've got to go to the gym at 6am every day of the week if I'm on the Monday when I start my new self-care routine. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And that just kind of reminded me of, um, of that. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is positivity, which we've kind of touched on already. Um, one thing that you both set out to do with Kick is to try and make social media a more positive space. I guess what comes up for me is like, can we really <laughs> um, is a, is a big theme in my life right now. And, you know, oftentimes we're told to like stay positive, think positive. Sometimes that can bypass opportunities for healing. Mm. 
So I kind of want to discuss that a little bit with you guys. Like, how do you think about positivity without it becoming, I guess, that quote unquote toxic positivity? Yeah, no, that's, it's such a good point. I mean, whilst we do try and keep, you know, both our uh, pages and keep it cleaner and, and the app itself a very positive space, we're also very mindful of that. And I think, um, we're also both really good at showing the more raw, uh, unfiltered moments uh, where we're not so positive. And I think that's what's really important. I think it's great to kind of project positivity online because maybe there isn't enough of it, but you're so right. If it's if there's too much of it and, and not enough of the real stuff, it can kind of do the opposite. So I think it's about found, finding that balance, which is what we try and do um, through our own social medias. I mean, it's what we even do in our workouts. A lot of people who follow our Keep It Cleaner workouts say that, you know, they've never had so much fun doing a workout because not only are we having f- fun and being positive in the workout, but we're also struggling and being real about that struggle <laughs> and not like doing a million burpees and looking like, you know, we could do a million more. Um, and they love that realness and that relatability. So I think, I think having a, being a positive space online doesn't necessarily mean, you know, everything you put up is positive. I think it means everything you put up is as close to real as possible. I think that's how we can make social media a more positive space. Um, and then I think when it comes to, you know, people spending time online and everything like that, if they want to make their own, experience online a more positive one just really kind of tune into who you're who you're following and and who you're spending time looking at um something laws says all the time and it a while ago it really clicked with me that you know who you follow really makes a difference and if there's people that you're following that are either a way too positive that you're like this is not (laughs) this is no one's life is like this and that bothers you then you know have a think about that and and if that really bothers you you don't have to follow them um and and the same goes the other way as well you know if you're following things that make you feel negative all the time like you you have control over that but um I think when it, it is yourself and you're trying to project positivity um it is being mindful of that balance of still being real as well absolutely yeah, I, I think for me, the hardest thing I find with social media is this, the balance of being, and, and I think this is something I struggled with a lot last year during, during lockdown, because I, a lot of people follow me and, and they say that they follow me for positivity. And so I felt like I had to show up for them. But then also I knew that there were people going through so much hardship and I didn't want mm-hmm anyone mm. to think that, you know, I've got through lockdown all positive and everything's okay. Just living and, you your know, best life in yeah, lockdown. <laughs> exactly. And because I think there's a point when it can absolutely become toxic because, you know, someone might be home and have had, you know, the worst day and be feeling mm. really down on themselves. And then they could see a post on Instagram that says like, remember to breathe. And they're like, what? Like breathing is not going to help me. Like I'm having the worst day. Like this person just needs to, you know, <laughs> be shush. Mm. But, but I think, and then, but then I went through this other, I suppose, thought process in my head that if I wasn't being positive and I was being more real, then I felt like what I was sharing in, in being real was not not that I couldn't justify my feelings, but I, I, I feel like it's so hard to share. And this is, I suppose, what you touched on at the start with, with both of you sharing your, your motherhood journey. And I think, Alison, you know, you shared so much about how hard it was for, for you to get pregnant, um, which I think is, would have helped so many people. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think so many would be, so many people would be so grateful for that. And now I think it's interesting that you feel like you can't share 
the good mm-hmm. things now because you shared, you know, three years of the hardships. Mm-hmm. But I think social media still makes us feel like we can't share the hardships or, you know, we can't share the positives because people are going through hardship, but then sharing hardships are also hard because there's always going to be someone in a worse off position. Mm. Exactly right. Mm. And, and I think for me it's, it's and I definitely don't know the answer to this and I haven't worked it out in my head yet, but it's just finding that balance of, and I think what I came to kind of a, a point where I felt I spent a little bit at peace with it is that I, I know that I can help some people with things that I'm posting and you know that's what we do with kick as well and so I I have kept the positive stuff but I I try and balance it as as much as I can with with them with the more real stuff and I know there always be someone going through something harder or someone Mm. that you know needed something more positive but we can we can only do our best I, I suppose but it is it's a very hard balance oh yeah I will be really honest with both of you I am struggling mm. with social media right now to a point mm. where I just want to close Instagram mm. where I'm like, mm-hmm. am I serving anyone? Is this serving me? This is so policed at this mm-hmm. point Yeah, that every time I go to share something. And question it. And actually like quite raw stuff, then I just discard, I just delete because I'm oh, yeah. Yeah. overthinking, overthinking. Whereas before, you know, I was more in the moment with it. Yeah. Thought, yes, this feels true to me right now. Off it goes. And then I guess 2020 was a massive wake-up call for a lot of us, certainly for me. It's, you know, who I'm platforming and who I'm amplifying, you know, was a a really big, um, I guess, moment of development for me as a broadcaster Mm. and as an editor and a journalist. Um, But I think also that's now made me too cautious. Yeah. You know, and then I'm also, I don't think I'm programming the podcast in the same way that feels authentically true to me because I'm trying to tick all these boxes Mm -hmm. and I'm just trying to be really honest here Mm. so that I don't get the backlash of, you know, but what about this community or this group? And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. But at the same time, I'm, you know, and this is my privilege. I'm one Mm. person. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, with one podcast. And I keep saying to, you know, women who DM me and say, what about this person and this group? And, you haven't acknowledged this. It's like, we need you. Go out and build it, create it, start it, tell the story, Yeah, you know. Um, And I hope that by sharing a bit of my journey that you can be inspired to believe that you can go and do that too. Um, But I'm struggling. I'm I'm not sure how I want to be on there and how to be on there and that's not like me. And I think maybe part of that is also... This is becoming about me now. I tend to get this in interviews sometimes. Um, I haven't spoken to anyone in a while, so I'm kind of like (laughs) stream of consciousness. I think what I'm, the development I'm having spiritually privately is making it very difficult for me to show up in the same way I did before. And I think that that's going to be a crossroads at a point where I'm going to have to pick a path. Yeah. Um. But I think it's becoming less and less relevant for me, social media, personally. Mm-hmm. And so how does that affect my business? Because if I'm not on Instagram, what will happen? And I kind of hate that. And I guess that might be a good question for you both. Like one part of me wants to ask, do you ever just wake up and just want to turn the whole fucking thing off? Yes. <laughs> and then how do we think <laughs> about the future in terms of like we can't be sustaining this level of output. So how do you even think about that all? 
I don't even yeah. know if that's a question really, is it? I mean, it's a big, it's a big conversation really. It's, um, I think for me, especially since having Harvey, um, it's made me definitely realise that there's going to be a time, I don't know when, but there is going to be a time that's going to come up that I'm going to be like, I need to get off this because um, I don't want him also once he gets to that age of totally understanding what's going on. I don't want that. I don't want it around him when he's at that point. So I think at the moment, yeah, it's it's quite necessary for business. Um, we, we won't lie about that. I mean, Kik launched on social media um, and both our careers launched through social media as well. So, you know, a huge thanks to everything that's happened for us has been through those uh, Instagram pages and everything like that. Um, and I also still enjoy it. There's still days that I really do love sharing what I do. And I think I'm still really holding on to those people that I'm helping through my channel. And that's the only reason really that I'm still on it. I'm actually not on it anymore for myself. <laughs> I'm pretty much only on it for those people that, uh, you know, really enjoy my content, that it, it gives back to them and that they, that it, it helps them in some way. That is honestly the only motivator that is keeping me on social media right now. Um, because I'd agree there is, there is days where I've just had absolutely enough. And, um, I agree with you that last year was a huge wake up call and a huge learning. And I think that was really important for us all to go through. Um, but it has, it has, I suppose, going back to confidence, um, questioning what I'm putting up these days is insane. Like the amount of times I check my caption or the photo that I'm sharing or um, just the topic that I'm talking about, I question all of that a lot more. And I think whilst that is, you know, hard to get used to, I think it's also it proves, I know, Laura, you struggle with it a lot too, Um, it just proves how I suppose, how much you care, which isn't a bad thing either. Like it shows that you actually care that other people are possibly going through worse than you. And that's not a bad thing to be cautious of that. Um, so I think you just kind of need to find that balance where you are, you acknowledge, um, you know, that you are in a, I suppose, a privileged position. Um, and, but you can still have those times. You can still have those hard times. And as we were talking about with your, with pregnancy and everything like that, it's your experience. You can only share your experience. Um, and it's all relative to what you're going through. So, um, yeah, I think I went a little bit off topic there, but (laughs) no, I think um, you're saying on. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's a hard one to navigate. Social media is getting harder and harder to navigate. Um, and I honestly don't know how much longer, um, for the personal side of things, it's, it's going to, continue because it is becoming a, a much bigger space for business than it is, I think, mm. for for personal stuff now, yeah. I completely agree agree with Steph. I think it is a it's a tough one. And I'm the same. I mean I don't know what how I'll feel when I have kids, which hopefully I, I can have one day. But I I do. I think it's a for me one of the biggest things that I don't want them my kids to experience the the thing that I dislike the most about social media is thinking that things come for free. Yeah. Um, obviously, Steph and I get, and I mean, Alison, you would be the same, get a lot of things delivered. And I, you know, we're so grateful for that and we're so lucky, but it is not normal. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for a fact, there is no way in the world I would be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't learn from a young age that you don't get anything unless you work for, for it. And yeah. that lesson that came from not having a lot growing up for me is what, that is my, the lesson I'm the most grateful for in my life. And so social media is, and you know, the, the, it just, it's 
totally the opposite. I mean, I, mm. I completely understand. Obviously, we've worked really hard to build our platforms to where they are and that's why people get sent things. But I think unless you can really understand the context of that, it's very hard to, to see that, especially for a child, to, to see things coming to exactly, the door yeah. all the time. And I, yeah, I, I don't want, I don't want to personally, my personal choice, and I don't know because I haven't been in that position yet, but that's something I feel very uncomfortable about. Mm, this is like impeccable timing. It was at this point I shared with Steph and Laura that I'd just run into a friend the day before who works in the influencer space. And we were talking about gifting. I raised it with my friend to get her opinion because... It feels broken to me. What started out as a really innovative and interesting way for brands and PRs to achieve organic awareness about new products has since turned into a kind of mini industry of its own. One that is mostly unregulated and, let's be honest, extremely wasteful. I come to this analysis from a place of immense privilege, but I also want to discern here that this isn't about being ungrateful or complaining about something shallow. I genuinely think it's a problem. When influencers don't disclose something was a gift, I lose trust, so I can only assume you do too. And then for the influencers who make money through monetizing their following, something many of us do, feeling obliged to share unsolicited gifts actually devalues paid offerings and larger, more relevant partnership opportunities. And then you have employees from PR companies who are now being tasked with following up a gift and asking for coverage so that they can prove the investment to their client, which is fair enough. With nearly 2 million followers between them, I wanted to get Steph and Laura's opinion. So I think for me, I have always struggled with gifting a bit because I don't want anyone to feel like they need all the things that we are sent. And Mm. it's this balance of, you know, especially with small businesses, supporting them because obviously coming from you know people who run businesses we understand that it costs money to send things to you have to buy the product you have to post the thing or whatever it might be and it costs money to do sending and gifting however I think it's then the balance with the you know the the unboxing kind of thing which Seth and I it's not something that Seth and I have ever really done I I struggle with unboxing and, and I know some people enjoy watching it and I don't have any any hate for anyone that does it you know everyone can do whatever they want but I personally don't really do it because I never ever ever want anyone to be watching me and thinking first of all that they're not good enough because they don't have the things that I have Mm. that they need all these things we don't need Mm. all these things that we're sent like it's a it's just this balance of trying to you know showcase these small brands and help these businesses Mm. grow because you know that that's something that Instagram is for and it really helps them and it's mm. you know it's enabled so many businesses to become what they have and what they are but then on the same the same page I suppose it's it's grappling with that thought and I always have it in my head like have I influenced a you know a young woman who you know might have to buy something that they don't need and Mm. then it might mean that they then you know don't have enough money for their car registration and and I know there's a lot to take on and I don't think that we need to take it on to that Mm. point but I 
often that's how I I do take it on. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it is. It's it's hard. It's hard to deal with that because I I don't think we we don't need all these things. And I just would hate for anyone to if I ever get sent a really generous you know gift that I that I want to share, I will always to to thank the brand. And if it's got something useful in it that you know if what I always say is if please before I do a, like a generous unboxing or something or just open one thing, I always say before I say you know I'm sharing this because if you are looking for something like this and you are trying to make a decision on it, I hope this can help in you seeing what is available at this shop. However, if you don't need it, you don't need it. Don't mm, don't buy really it because smart. I'm posting that's it. That's good. But I'm not sure. It is it's hard. It is a hard one. But I, I agree. I think it's becoming less. Um, comfortable and especially after 2020 when Mm. people have gone through so much hardship to watch people, you know, unboxing 20 things in a row that are worth, you know, $5,000 worth of gifting, Mm. it's getting uncomfortable to to watch that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Uh, a good way to explain it. Completely agree. And Alison, to your point of, um, you know, kind of receiving things that you hadn't even asked for. I mean, I, I've actually gone to the point of now emailing a bunch of PRs um, when I receive a package and just being like, can you please tell me when, before you send something? Because as Laura said, I know how much it can cost for a business to send stuff out to gift. And I don't feel comfortable sharing everything that I've been sent because a lot of it I don't use or um, I, you know, didn't ask for it and everything like that. So um, it does get to that awkward point of like, well, I, I don't want to share this because this isn't the skincare that I use. So I'm sorry, I can send it back to you. Like uh, you, That's I mean, I, I do. I'm like, what's yeah. your address? I'll send it back. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it is really hard. So I think, you know, I mean, and to your point, Laura, um, you, you can't weigh too much on your own shoulder, like too much of that onto your own shoulders. I think it is the biggest thing that I think you could do as someone with influence is just to make sure that whatever you are sharing, it is actually something that you genuinely like or or use. You know, I think that's at the end of the day, if that's what you go by, then that's kind of the best you can do. Um, people watching your stories, you know, it's kind of down to them if they want to actually buy into what you're selling or not. You know, it's, it is really up to them at the end of the day. But I think as long as you're not sharing anything that isn't genuine or, you know, then that's, that, I think that's what's important. Mm. It's hard even having the conversation about it. It's like, feel so do you privileged. Want to give it time. Oh, seriously, with mm. just everything that's going on. So a definite yeah. acknowledgement, you know, of that. And 100%. I think the other thing I've been sort of grappling with is, you know, while I've been on maternity leave, taking some small kind of Instagram partnerships to help mm, mm-hmm. my income, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm not obviously earning and hoping that the people who follow me understand that, you know, I'm a female founder, I'm self-funded just mm. like you guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've got to make decisions for my family as mm. well. But, you know, I did one recently um, with this teeth whitening brand I actually use and I had some people DM me and say, it's really disappointing that you're doing teeth whitening. It's like, but I use it. So at what point can I just... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If I didn't yeah. use it, fine. So anyway, I find the whole thing takes up too much of my, um, too much space, I think, in my life right now. And I think, is this serving anyone anymore? I don't know. Yeah. Um, we don't have a lot of time. I still have so many questions. Um, <laughs> Steph, I don't know if you get this, but I can hear the baby upstairs and my boobs are like throbbing. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, no! I, I like honestly, if I go near him right now, because he'll probably start getting restless any minute now. My yeah. like literally nipples and everything start to tingle and burn. <laughs> Seriously, it's like I'm talking, but at the same time, my boob is getting hot and throbbing. So, <laughs> let me. I do have a couple of questions I want to ask, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. I briefly touched on funding then, and I think this is a really important thing for us to talk about as founders because a lot of the time it's one of those very hidden parts of a business's journey. And I think sometimes that's very relevant to keep it private. As much as you guys are willing to share, can we talk a little bit about the decisions you've made around being self-funded versus taking investment? Um, And is that something that you were very clear on in the beginning or just organically happened that way? I think to start off with, it organically happens that way. So Keep It Cleaner is, uh, our app is self-funded. And we are really proud of that. I think for us, one thing that we did think about a lot was we knew, we knew that a lot of businesses that started out, if you get funding when you first start out, obviously your business is worth, you know, nothing probably, you know, you, you just start again, it's just an idea. And so I, I we had heard horror stories of people that had, um, I suppose, given a lot of their business away for a sum of money. And yes, that money helped them grow their business, but they probably could have grown it themselves and owned 100% of their business instead of having given, you know, 70% away at the start. And I think that to me was was something that was really, really important. I think when you when you start a business, there's so many things that, and for us, I think the most important thing is timing. Obviously, you need mm. some money, like funding or being self-funded timing. The idea is obviously extremely important, but I think the most important thing is timing and that you enter the market at the right time. And with what we did with Keep It Cleaner, it started with our ebook as a hobby. As it was, it was it was a passion project for us, really. It wasn't something that we really considered to be like we drew up a very basic contract between us um and that was about all and it, so yeah. we didn't, while we did consider it a, a little bit it wasn't a big consideration because it was a passion project but then I think once we then decided to do a, our own website and start a subscription website and then go um and and launch the program which we did with other business partners so in, I suppose in some way that was taking away a lot of the the financial risk for us and we worked with with the other company that we worked with and then to decide to leave them and go out on our own that was another big decision that that, that we had to had to make but we have Steph and I both have very similar money values which I think is really really important if if you're going into business with someone it's it's such an important factor so that was number 1 and so when we as we've kind of grown with Kick well we are quite young, I suppose, as a business, we have grown gradually. And what we have done is because we didn't, you know, go out, we, we didn't launch the ebook and then sell copies and then go and buy a new car. We launched the ebook and then put that money into the website. And then from the website, we were then able to then carry some of or a lot of the money from there over to, to the app. And that is how we've been able to, I suppose, gradually grow. Um, and I think that we, we have only been able to do that because of our money values being exactly the same and that we've always been great savers, you know, which is great. And we also have, I suppose, we're really big believers in where Kit can get to. And we knew what we had to do. And, and I suppose the sacrifices mm-hmm. that we had to make in saying that though, we, we had a lot of privilege in that we were both modeling, um, mm-hmm. and working on, as well as doing Keep It Cleaner. So it's not always, um, not everyone can do that, not take any money out of their business when they start yeah, exactly. it because they might need it because that might be their only full-time job. 
but we were really lucky in that we had other sources of income so all of our money could go back into Keep It Cleaner to then I suppose, enable us to not not have to get funding. And I know that, as again, it's not always an option for, for people, but mm. I would say to anyone starting their business that's listening to this, hold on to as much as you can for as long as you can because if you give away 50% of your business on day one, it might, you know, in, in two years' time, what that person bought in for might be equivalent mm-hmm. to 5%, but you've given away 50 Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that's something. And I, and I think a lot of women, especially it's, it's hard to navigate the, the funding process and, and cause oh, it's, cause it's we very right male dominated. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be that again, we're at the table and not fully understanding what the term sheet actually says and means. Mm. And I think you raised such a good point. One of the big things I've been exploring as I think about next steps and do I continue to self-fund? Like I think last year I had you know, a decent year revenue wise, all of it went back into the business. So Mm. I still can't bloody pay myself properly, which, you know, it's getting to a point three years in, I've got to earn again. You know what I mean? Mm. Like Mm. I was at kind of my earning, highest earning potential in corporate and then left that. And now it's like, okay, where's the, you got to have a paycheck, Alison, (laughs) you know, because it's a lot for Tony to hold for our Mm. family as well. Um, and doesn't give him a lot of flexibility over his own creativity and ambition and stuff like that. Um, one of the biggest things I'm learning as I, as I have collaborative conversations with, you know, advisors and potential investors is, I guess, what the, um, what the ambition is for the investor and what their earnout terms look like. And if you want to invest and have me turn around a certain amount of profit in two years, it's going to really change the direction of my business. Mm. But can I partner with somebody who could also help me through their own resources and network? So could the deal look a little bit different in terms of can I use, you know, some of your, um, whether that's your people, your experience, your skill set, um, your network that could come alongside whatever it looks like on the financial side. Um, but I think understanding the the ambition for the investor mm. seems to be the biggest lesson I'm learning um, at yeah. the moment. But I think incredible for you too. I mean, congratulations. Mm. It's very, very hard to look at what you've earned and put it directly back in, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you your life could look very different personally if mm. you decide to take that money out of the business and buy the house or do whatever it might be. But the fact that you, and like, I know how expensive it is to build an app. It's ridiculous. Mm. It's actually ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, so I think, yeah, a huge congratulations on the decisions you've made to, to stay self-funded up until this point. I think that's huge. Thank you. And, and yes. I mean, I would say as well, Alison, when, when you're speaking for anyone that's speaking to investors, I think something that, when people, what's very, what Steph and I have had huge learnings on over our time is that when you first chat to people, it's very exciting. And when you first yeah. do deals, it's <laughs> very dream. exciting for them as well, for the other party as well. And what we have learned is that you need to have everything contracted. So people might say, you know, we want to be a part of your business and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we want to wake up and think about it and go to bed and think about it and be as committed as you. But unless you have got that in in writing with, you know, a service level agreement that is for both parties, mm. we've learned so many times that it's, you know, there's, there's going to be another opportunity for them. And especially with investors, obviously they get 
And while we haven't worked directly with them, um, just with other, you know, ventures we've gone into, what we've found is, yeah, after six months that there's another opportunity that will come up for that other party and then you might be in the background and you just need to make sure that you've done everything that you can when you sign that deal that you're not in the Mm. background because I think it happens so often. Um, And once you have, you know, once you're in it, you can't get out. Yeah, and that NDA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that bloody NDA. Um, okay, I'm going to do two more questions. Um, God, I've got so many good ones. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about spirituality, but we're not going to do that. I think we're going to stay a bit on business. So I think this could be really useful for people listening. When you both think about um, the word successful, can you share with us what does that look like for you? What does success mean in your life? If you're successful, what does your life look like? Ah, it's a good question. Um, I think for me, if I'm relating it to work, um, then it's just enjoying what I do for me. Um, I've never really had I mean, obviously I've got a lot of motivation to grow a business. Um, otherwise we we wouldn't I wouldn't be in this position. Like and I, I love what I do, but I also, um, you know, when I think about my goals moving forward and everything like that personally, um, it's, I don't have like this huge drive to want to be like, I don't know, the CEO of a company or, you know, to launch another five businesses after kick. Like I, I don't have that huge drive. I think why I've got that drive for kick is a lot more to do with the why we have the business, not the business itself. Um, you know, the, the passion to help people and, um, to be in that kind of health and wellness space is what, is where my drive comes from. So I think um, for me, success in work is just enjoying what I do, which is why I've got FOMO when I'm on mat leave <laughs> because because <laughs> I love it so much. So I think, yeah, work-wise, just enjoying what I do. And then um, similar to, to life, I think um, accepting that you're not going to be happy every day, um, but that at least on the most part, that I do feel positive. That's, that's, I think, successful, um, life for me. So yeah, it's a very hard way to explain it, but I think, um, being realistic with, with happiness and everything is kind of successful for me. I think for me, it's, it's about knowing in, from a work perspective that we're making a difference in what we're doing, Mm. which I I think we are with kick and well, I know that we are, and that's, that's really special. And then also that I'm always learning. I think that there's so much more, you know, that that I've got to learn in my life. And I find that when I'm learning, and this is why I, with my, I just finished my uni degree and what actually helped me, because it was obviously hard to balance a uni degree and, and work. And also a lot of uni stuff is very boring and you obviously don't get paid to do it, but you know, education is invaluable, but it sometimes you really get annoyed when <laughs> you're doing a group assignment. Um, but I, I think what I've what I what got me through that is that I get so my going back to confidence, my confidence really grows when I'm learning. Um, and the more that I learn, the more motivated I feel. And so for me, I think success in, in a business sense is that I'm learning and, and yeah, that that we're making a difference. And then I think from a personal sense, it's just, I think, again, it comes back to making a difference and I'm feeling like I have a purpose. Mm. Huge. Mm. Yeah. If I can share mine really quickly, it's, I've recently realized it's time. (laughs) Success for me looks like time. Mm. Can you hear my baby? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Very cute. I've I've heard mine a few times as well. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to go now. 
Um, she's getting real vocal now. Five months of that. <laughs> I'm like, you really want to talk? What are you trying to say? Um, so, Laura, I know you know this. I end the podcast with a final question. Offline exists as an exploration of self and who are we without the Instagram followings, the labels, the co-founder, the kick, the everything. When we're sitting in our true self, who are we? And so when I ask that question to both of you, who are you and what comes up when I ask that question? Mm, goodness me, I know. <laughs> I know you People I'm say like, I know the question's coming, but I haven't actually thought I, about it. It is, it is. Uh, I mean, it's hard because I mean, a lot, as I was saying at the start, a lot of my self-worth is so tied to my work. Um, mm. I think though, if I really dig deep into who who I who I am and and what makes me feel like me, it's I truly feel my best self when I'm helping other people and making other people feel good and it kind of sounds so cliche and yeah a bit I don't know I don't know if it's a very simple answer but I think for me yeah my my true self is is when I'm helping others because that to me makes me feel so happy and fulfilled in my life mm. and I feel like when I'm helping other people I feel like me and mm. um and yeah so I, I think that's mine that's beautiful knowing you I would say that's you <laughs> Um, I think for me, one of my biggest values in life is, is the relationships that I hold. So for me, you know, above anything else, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a mother, um, I'm a friend. And, um, I think keeping those relationships strong and prioritizing them moving forward for me is, is what makes me, me. Hmm. I love that. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Thank you. I, honestly, I have so many more questions for you. <laughs> um, so maybe a part two one day. I'd actually love to to keep talking to you. And I just want to congratulate you on what you've built and what you're building. Oh, and me too. And just understanding your value set. It's actually just incredible, like the example that you're setting. So thank you for taking the time and, yeah, and just being that, I guess, positive example for lots of women who want to start something. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been so nice to chat. So it's so Pleasure. funny listening, seeing you and us having to respond because I'm so used to hearing you and obviously then just <laughs> hearing the guest. But it's so cool that we're, we're the guests. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. What a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. <laughs>